Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch-made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture, and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Greener Postures Podcast. I am your host, Lanny, and it's good to be back with you today. This is the last of the three episodes that I'm doing on preserving the harvest for the month of August. And today I'd like to talk about all the things I haven't mentioned in the prior. In the first episode, how I choose what I, how what method of preservation I'm going to use. And we really talked about canning and fermentation on that episode. And there's been a lot of talk about fermentation and canning in prior episodes because there has been full months dedicated to just those topics. So if you haven't listened yet, the fermentation month was June, I believe, for fermented vegetables. It was July for fermented beverages. And if we go back farther, we had canning. And I think that was in February, but I'm not sure. So, you know, go back farther in the year um, or towards some of my earlier episodes. And I had a month of uh, canning talk. If people want to dive in more to those specific things and you like my um, style of sharing and the way I go over things, you could consider taking one of the online workshops, which would be a workshop replay, a two-hour video that you can watch at your convenience and re-watch if you need to, along with a book that comes with it and um, access to the group chat that we have so you can ask questions. And I do have a canning workshop as well as a fermentation workshop. And... Um, you can find all of that greenerpostures.com slash workshops. So for this episode, I really want to focus on all the things we haven't touched on. So again, canning fermentation have been covered. And then in the second episode, we talked about freezing. So I hadn't mentioned that yet. The last episode, we talked about how I use my freezer. And today I want to talk about the other methods that I use, including dehydrating or drying, um, which I kind of, those are the same thing. But they're, uh, in my mind, they're using different methods. And I'll explain what I mean in a minute. And freeze-drying, salt-curing, oil, sugar. There's a lot of other ways to preserve things. Honey. Okay. So when I say the drying and um, dehydrating, what I mean is dehydrating, I'm using a, a machine. So I use my dehydrator. And that's what I call dehydrating, right? Drying is something that I do on a rack. And I have this really cool rack that I hang in my window, which probably isn't ideal. I'd rather have it less, have less light, but it's the only place that I have that I can hang this up. And it's this like net thing that has this spiral um, wire through it. So it has layers of netting and it's surrounded in netting and each section has a zipper to open. So you can lay herbs or whatever thing that you want to dry on each section of this netted enclosed um, mesh thing. And then those things can dry. So they have access to airflow, but they're protected from insects or from falling on the ground, right? 
Um, if you don't have something like that, you can just lay things out on paper towels to dry them. The air will dry them. The idea is not to put them in into an enclosed place, which would trap moisture and moisture and eventually create mold or it to degrade. So the things I use my drying, I don't know what I want to call it. It almost looks like a duffel bag <laughs> that hangs from the ceiling. It's made of mesh. But um, my drying rack, I'm just going to call it that. It's not really rack, but we'll go with that. My drying rack I use, which I'll link to the one I have. I just bought it on Amazon. It was pretty cheap. I'll link to that in the show notes. That I use mostly for herbs. So in the past, it's been sage, oregano, thyme, basil, anything that I grow in the garden that I want to save to have dried herbs through the winter works really well. Um, this year has been more medicinal herbs because I'm experimenting with growing things that I have not grown before. So I've been drying calendula and uh, plantain leaf and things like that. So you can dry flowers on there, whatever, anything that grows that's green, that's like thin enough and light enough that you can just lay those out in a layer. And then I come back to them sometimes and I move them around. You know, I've, I've, um, I've done it with dandelion flowers to make my infused dandelion oil. The calendula is the same process as that. Um, that's just, you're saving the flowers. You're letting them dry enough that you can submerge them in oil and keep them there for a while. Um, yeah. So then it comes to the dehydrator. And I'll link to the dehydrator that I have as well. Um, mine is not special. It's really the one that you can get free from somebody who doesn't who bought it to make beef jerky and then they never used it or whatever. And and that's where I got mine from my mom actually. And it was my dad had a hair to try to make his own beef jerky to take when he would go hunting, and I think he did it once and and then that was it. This uh, dehydrator, I think is a Presto brand dehydrator. It's a circle, it's a tower, and there's several layers to it. And you layer food on these like, um, they're not mesh, but they're like these little racks that have holes in them. And there's a fan that turns on and it gets to a certain temperature. Some dehydrators have um, like a knob where you can adjust the temperature of the, that the dehydrator will stay. And that's really good if you're trying to be specific for specific things and have um, a certain temperature held for a long period of time. Um, mine, I'm just trying to get things dry and I don't really care, which is fine. But I think eventually I could get into having some, a better quality something. And I can't remember Excalibur, I think is the name of the fancy dehydrator. They're like in a big square box and they have way more trays and more, more space. So if you're somebody who wants to do big batches of dried stuff, like if you really love dried fruit, you can do sliced apples and sliced pears, both of which I've done. I've done dried um, pineapples and bananas, which uh, the pineapple is a little acidic for us. We didn't really want to eat it. Um, the other kind of fruits can really become like candy pretty quickly. So I'm careful with what I preserve there. I'm not buying stuff from the store to preserve that way. Um, uh, but I have done dehydrated lemon slices and I really like those because I can put them in a jar and just leave them in the pantry. And then in the winter time, if I feel like my tea or something warm needs citrus, I can just drop a dry, um, lemon into a glass of hot water or into some broth or whatever to give that um, that lemon kick to it, which is good when you have a sore throat or whatever, lemon and honey. Well, I don't have to go to the store. I'm not where uh, citrus doesn't grow here in the Northwest, but <clears throat> I found that buying that stuff when it's um, at its cheapest and preserving it that way, it's been really helpful. And this last year I actually made a 
I don't know. It's not a wreath. What do you call this? It would be like a garland. Yes. I made basically a garland. It was just some butcher's twine. And I put, I, um, you know, fed it through these lemons and spaced them apart. And I have it hanging in a few places in my house next to some Christmas lights. And it's really cute and cheery. I felt during the winter time to have a little bit of yellow, even though that's much duller yellow, it, it was really nice. And knowing that I could just drop that into some hot water is cool too. So that was a pretty rad way to preserve citrus. And I've talked about it before, but saving the tomato skins when I'm making tomato sauce and dehydrating those and making tomato powder has actually been good too. It's helped me flavor some things with tomato flavor without using like a tomato bouillon or that you find in like the Mexican uh, section in the grocery store or, um, I, you know, like if I don't have tomato paste, I can put a little bit of water in that and do it. Something I have been curious about that I've not ever used is freeze dryer. So of course I've come across it online because of the prepper types that I follow and the homesteader types. And there's a lot of really great blogs and stuff that are sponsored by Harvest Right that, um, get, you know, I don't know if they get a free one and they write recipes or what, but they, um, they definitely promote it a lot. And I know it's a big ticket item. So if you're buying Harvest Right through one of their links, you're definitely, they're getting a kickback for that. And that's great. So don't forget, you know, if you're inspired to buy something because of a content creator that you like, you know, use their links to buy that thing. Cause that's, that's them. That's you saying thank you to them for introducing you to something or teaching you enough about something that you're inspired to move to the next level and purchase it for yourself. Um, even if you don't want the thing they're selling and you want something similar, using links oftentimes will still give them a kickback. Uh, if you navigate away from the item that they ha- were showing and you purchase, say for a harvest, right, you end up getting the larger model, they're still going to get a kickback if you initially use that link and purchase from it. But the Harvest Right freeze dryer has always seemed intimidating to me for several reasons. Number one is that it feels really sciencey and very precise. And number two is the cost of the machine starts at like $2,200, right? Minimum. Um, then I start to look into the differences between the machines and you know, why would I buy the $2,200 if I could get the next size up for $2,600 and on and on and on. Uh, I then start to talk myself out of the idea because of the price and the complicated, uh, unfamiliar factors. Like there's some kind of a vacuum pump that comes with it and there's different choices and you can get like a oilless pump. Otherwise your pumps need to have their oil changed and oil added. And I'm like, I start reading that and I was like, no, this isn't me learning small engine repair. I just wanted to save some, uh, you know, peas from the garden or whatever. Uh, so that's not to say that this is not a good product. The other part that had turned me off in the past is that I didn't know if I would want to use freeze-dried food. Um, I didn't know how the nutrition is supposed to stack up to other methods of, uh, of preservation, and honestly, I still don't know the answer to that. What I do know is when I read from the blogs and websites that are promoting it, they say that it maintains the nutritional value and flavor and integrity of the food better than other 
methods. But I'm not seeing any scientific studies that say, hey, we tested this freeze-dried food and it's still loaded with vitamin C versus uh, this freezed food, frozen food that has been in the fridge for a year and it's not loaded with vitamin C. Whatever. I haven't seen any comparisons. I haven't seen any studies. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were out there. I did see one of the blogs say that the freeze-dried food has been around for hundreds of years. And that is interesting to me because I don't know how they would have done that initially without the kind of technology we have today. And then that brings me to a totally different topic, which has been bugging me lately, is that these blogs that are written by AI, and you don't know for a minute that they are, and you then suddenly realize you're reading stuff that is words that has no meaning at all and like does not make sense. And like, it can feel like it makes sense for a while. And then you realize all of a sudden they've switched to talking about freezing stuff instead of freeze drying. And for some reason, when I'm researching this freeze dryer this last week, I keep coming up to stuff that's talking about freezing in this after I've been talking about freeze drying. And then I'm realizing a lot of these blogs are not people that are writing this. So I want to make a pledge to you, my listener, (laughs) my friends, my fans. Um, I am never going to use AI to write any of my content. The reason I'm here doing this is because I have something to say. I don't need to fill blank spaces to create content. I need to get my message out there and share my passion with you. So I promise you that I will not be sharing any AI content. So anyway... That was a little tangent. Um, Going back to trying to find real stuff, I think I might have been on an AI blog that had said that we've been freeze-drying for hundreds of years. And what I think they meant was that we've been freezing stuff for hundreds of years. And I know that the the ice trade, I don't know what to call it, um, was a big thing back in the day before electricity. They would ship blocks of ice from cold places so that you could put them in your icebox and keep your food cold, you know, before we had refrigeration. And that's pretty cool. Um, Probably pretty inefficient, but pretty cool. No pun intended, or is there? There was a really cool Bruce Lee movie that I remember where they're in a, like, an ice factory, and there's, like, ice blocks, and they're doing some cool kung fu fighting. So that's all of the science... history, I mean, I, that I know about um, ice factories. I learned from that Bruce Lee movie. Um, anyway, I think that freeze drying, I would love to learn more about how that got started and um, if it maintains n- good nutrient content. If anyone has any good sources for a freeze drying, if you've had experience with freeze drying and you want to share it with me, I would love to hear it. Send me an Instagram DM or uh, email me, greenerpostures at pm.me, and I'd love to hear from you and your personal experience if you're a real person and you're not AI. Remember to count your fingers to make sure that you're not AI and make sure they don't look scary or like weird sausages in a clump. That's how you can tell the person's still real. Um, so, so dehydrating, drying, freeze drying, those are all really good options. Um, I, I like to dehydrate foods that I know we'll eat. And for us, that's um, apples and pears. Those are two things that grow here that I know we'll eat. I have also um, dehydrated cherry tomatoes. And I just slice them in half and lay them on the dehydrator until they're completely dry. And I store them in a jar. And those were good. Some of them I also then put in oil and made like um, kind of like sun-dried tomatoes but the flavor is not quite as intense as those nice sun-dried tomatoes, um, probably because of the way I'm drying them, right? That's the difference, sun-dried versus uh, mechanically dried. 
with this little fan and the heater. But either way, they were super good. And they added a lot to soups and stews when I kind of reconstituted them in, in a warm and liquid environment. Um, but the ones that I soaked in oil, that brings me to that topic. Oil can be used as a preservative as well. So you can submerge things in oil to preserve them. Part of the problem with that is that if you have moisture under the oil and that creates an anaerobic environment, if you leave it at room temperature and there is water in there, then that can um, create botulism and allow botulism to grow. So there's a lot of information online that says don't preserve garlic in oil because there's too much water and all that. You can dry your garlic first and then submerge it in the oil and then put a cap on it and you should be good. But if you're at all not sure, you can just put that in the refrigerator and it'll be too cold for botulism to grow. So if you have room in your fridge, you want to try to submerge stuff in oil, it'll keep it from growing mold because it's under the oil, but it will also keep it from growing botulism if it's in the fridge. I, um, I've done the dried tomatoes in oil. I've done basil that I put in oil and then you can use the oil to cook and you can also fish out the, the stuff and use it. So it's like a win-win because the oil takes on the flavor of whatever you're soaking in it. I've, um, I've done, um, lebney, like that yogurt cheese and I've made balls and then submerged that in oil. And I store that in the fridge, but it makes, uh, those lemony balls last a super long time. And then they taste really good. They got olive oil with that, especially if you flavor the olive oil with something, put some basil in there, some of the sun-dried tomatoes, some garlic, whatever. Another way that I like to preserve with oil is maybe a little unconventional. I, I've never read about this being a thing, but it's something that I've found preserves things for a really long time. And that's to make a paste out of something and then put a, like a, <clears throat> a layer or like a slick of oil on the top of that and then store it in your refrigerator. And my examples of that are curry paste, um, uh, pesto, and tome. So if you don't know tome, it's a garlic paste. It's like a Lebanese thing. It's just salt, garlic, lemon, and olive oil. You can also use avocado oil or a more neutral oil. And I do have a video on how I make that on my um, YouTube channel, Preserving Today. Garlic tome is super simple. And it makes this really strong paste of raw garlic and oil. And I just put it in a jar and seal it up. So this year, growing the garlic, I got a few holes in the bulbs after I harvested them. Like, I don't know, insects, I would guess. I didn't see any insects. It wasn't like there was worms in there, but there were holes. Enough that when I peeled one, the clove had like a dark spot on it. And I was worried that that would cause rot if I was trying to store it long term. And I you know things like that, um, once you get to like one, one bad apple uh, spoils a whole bunch, right? If you get a uh, clove garlic that's rotting and you have it in a big box of garlic, or, you know, I have them stored in these cotton mesh bags. So there's good airflow that could ruin like my whole stockpile of garlic. So I'm not trying to do that. So I just put the garlic in three bags. One bag, I put a tag on it that says uh, bulb garlic. What I meant was uh, seed, seed. I think I wrote seed garlic. I can't remember, but I'm going to use it for seed. I'm going to replant it in the fall um, just before it gets really cold and hopefully have more garlic grow from that next year. The second bag says use first, and that's any of my bulbs that have the little tiny holes in it. And then the third bag is just a really nice garlic that hopefully will last me into 
you know, at least next spring, uh, if not through the summer, um, until my next garlic harvest. So for the ones that have the holes in them, I wanted to use a bunch of them now. And I'm also going to just random use them for whatever I am needing them for, for cooking and stuff. But to use a good chunk of them, I made some tome and I ended up making one, two, three, four, five, about five cups of it. And so that's, I put that into three jars, two pint size jars, which are two cups each and one, um, half pint jar, which is one cup. And I put canning lids on the two pints and I put them in my basement fridge. And then the smaller one is what I'm using from first and just a tiny slick of oil on top of that should keep that from getting moldy for a very long time. I do the same thing with pestos and I don't just make conventional basil and pine nut garlic pesto. I've made garlic scape pesto and I make this really good Thai pesto, which you could probably call a curry paste, but I don't know. I've never, no one's taught me how to make a curry paste and I just make it in my method of making pesto. I think curry pastes don't usually have oil, but this one is just like a lot of herb. Um, and it's all like a Thai flavored thing. Like what did I use? Green onion, Thai basil, garlic, um, maybe I didn't even use garlic, just like a lot of green onion, Thai basil and ginger. Uh, I can't remember what else, but I used some avocado oil. So it was more neutral, which I keep looking into that. I just feel like it's not the best stuff for me. So I'm trying to weed it, wean myself off of it and start using fats that I can see are what they're saying they are. Whereas like olive oil and avocado oil, like I'm trusting the company that bottled them for me. But like beef tallow that I render from a chunk of beef fat that I got from a local butcher shop from a local farm, like I can tell that that's beef fat and I can render it down and I know what it is. Um, so say with butter, I can tell it's butter and it's not margarine, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, thinking, starting to think like that. So I might end up getting off the avocado oil, but either way, I made this, this Thai style pesto with that. And then I just put a slick of oil over the top of it. And I have like... I made three cups of that. So that was in one of those three, four, three quarters uh, quart or whatever, pint and a half size jars of the tall skinny asparagus jars. And now I'm, I've, I've used about two thirds of that. I have about a cup left and every time I use it, I just add a little more oil to the top and then it's still good. And it's been over a year. So that's like, how do you keep that fresh herb uh, kind of thing going? for times that you want to cook things uh, and doing it in a way where it's really easy to grab what you need and leave the rest. The effort all comes together in one batch and you keep reaping the rewards of it for a long time. So if you have a bunch of Thai basil or that was on sale or you got uh, a discount for buying it in bulk, then you could just make something like that and have it in the fridge. So that's oil. Salt is another thing that uh, we all know is a preservative and you can straight up just like lay a piece of meat in a bed of salt until it draws the moisture out. It's like what of osmosis? I don't know. I don't know science terms, but it pulls the moisture out and the salt goes into the meat. So you can make it salty. Um, you can also use sugar and you could do half sugar and half salt and that just helps it end up less salty and actually it won't take on a lot of the sugar. The sugar is just there to thin the salt out while still having the meat completely covered. And you can add herbs to that if you want. And then you hang that to dry. And once that's dry and salted, the salt is what's helping it dry. That's a really old school way of preserving things. People do that with fish. 
People do that pork. I mean, salt pork or bacon that's uh, cured and hung the old-fashioned way. Something that's really exciting to me and I want to try. Um, there is a content creator and farmer called Farmstead Meatsmith. I think his name is Brandon Sheard. He has a lot of great info on the traditional ways of salt curing and smoking meats for preservation. And he teaches in a really down-to-earth way that helps me. Um, I hear him when he's saying we don't need to be afraid of this stuff. And that's what that's where I am with all the other things I've discovered. So it's really in line with my way of understanding things. And I really appreciate his teaching. So if you don't follow him yet, go check him out for more salt curing of meats and stuff like that. But even with herbs, you can make salt rub, like you can make salt, um, what do you call it? Seasoning blends that are salted. And you can use fresh herbs with them and really like massage some salt into some fresh herbs and let it sit and dry on a pan. And then that salt will take on the flavor from the herbs. And you can, once it's all dry, you put it in a jar and you can use that as like a, um, what do you call that? A salt, like a Johnny C salt. <laughs> what is that? What is that MSG stuff? Um, Anyway, a flavored salt. I have a friend that has a, a herb business and she makes this beautiful rosemary salt. She does another one that's got like seaweed and, and sesame and, and nettle. It's like just awesome stuff. So you can get crazy with the different kinds of uh, ways to preserve herbs um, using blends like that. Or you can just, like we talked about before, dry them, mix them with salt later or mix them with each other and leave the salt out to add while you're cooking. Sugar is another way to preserve things, and that one I don't understand quite as much as I do some of the other ones, but I think it works similarly to salt where it draws out moisture. You know, if you put sugar on something and let it sit, it kind of starts to sweat. So I think that's it. I do have a book that I could recommend. It's called Preserving Food Without Freezing or Canning, and it says traditional techniques using salt, oil, sugar, alcohol, vinegar, drying, cold storage, and lactic fermentation. So we covered a lot of these. Alcohol, alcohol is another one. Um, I like uh, have liked learning about making tinctures this year, which if you look at it, it's a, it's a way to preserve things as well. Vinegar is another excellent way to preserve things. If you're thinking of drinks like shrub or oximal, I'm, I'm drinking delicious strawberry shrub or sorry, raspberry shrub that I made quite a while ago. And that raspberry flavor is there for me to enjoy because of the vinegar preserving it. Um, same with the uh, oximal that I made, which is uh, honey and vinegar and um, soaking something in it. And I did that with rose petals this year and it's super delicious. And I can make myself like a cocktail with that with some sparkling water on ice. And it's really, really good. And it feels, I don't know, calming. It's like nice. It's a check-in moment of my day to enjoy a drink like that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for today, folks. Um, I would encourage you to get creative. And as always, my most important thing is, will I use the stuff if I preserve it in this way? So right now, I know that if I do a heavy syrup and I'm soaking something, I might not use that because I'm not doing much sugar. Will I use freeze-dried vegetables? I don't know. I'm researching that now so I can understand if trying to freeze dry stuff is for me. 
And we have several people in the community here locally that has have freeze dryers that have offered me to be able to use that. I think they're excited because they have some way of food preser- preservation that I've never tried. Um, but all of them are kind of new at it too. So when I ask questions, they don't have the answers to it yet. So I've really felt like before I use their expensive machine, go to their house with, you know, bags of frozen food to try to use this thing because of the other part, it takes a long time when you freeze dry something, as far as I understand the batch takes like at least 24 hours. I think it's more like 40 hours, maybe even longer. That's crazy. So you would go and set it up and say, okay, see you later. And then how much do I pay? Like, I feel like it's draining their, that's a big power bill. You know what I mean? You can just see the meter spinning super fast. Um, I hope that Uh, I will get to try one someday and then I can give you my review of if it's worth it for that long. I have stuff that I could see possibly not minding having freeze dried. It's funny because when I think of freeze dried food, I think of what are those called? Cup of noodles, those styrofoam cups that have the noodles in them. And it's already got like a flavor in there that's supposed to be broth and you pour boiling water over it and like, keep it covered for like three minutes or whatever, stir it. And then you got your, your noodles. And if I understand correctly, I think maybe even the the noodles themselves are freeze dried, but for sure on the top of those things are just like peas and corn and little like bell pepper flakes. And I think that's freeze dried stuff for the longest, the time I thought those were dehydrated foods, but I think they're freeze dried. So freeze drying, as I understand it, you just freeze deep, deep freeze something, which creates all of the water to become crystallized. And then you turn this vacuum on and the machine vacuums out those crystals as it's warming up. And it does it in a way where it turns from from the frozen crystals to a gas, and then it's suctioned out. So by turning it from the frozen state to a gas state and skipping the liquid state, you don't let the food get soggy and none of the minerals and vitamins are supposed to come out with the water. But I don't know if that's actually true. That's just kind of how I understand it from what I've been reading. Um, Either way, Freeze-dried food is definitely different than dried fruit because everyone's eaten dried fruit. But have you, if you've had dried strawberries and then you've had, or dehydrated strawberries, and then you've had freeze-dried strawberries, you know they're different. The freeze-dried ones crumble. You can make a powder out of them almost with your hand. Um, you put them in your mouth and it's almost like cotton candy where it starts to like dissolve. Uh, really popular at the fair and some other things that I've seen this year, it's freeze-dried candy. Like p- people buying like Skittles and like freeze-drying those and then selling them. They're like little exploded k- Skittles. And I think they would have that cotton candy-like thing I'm saying where they're going to like dissolve in your mouth. Another thing I think of when I think of freeze-dried food is moon cheese. Um, that's these little tiny crunchy pieces of cheese that are just freeze-dried cheese. So if I ever get my hands on a freeze dryer, I would like to try that. And then the last thing is when my first kid was little, I remember trying to feed him the stuff that I thought you were supposed to feed a little kid in the baby food section. And I got this bag of freeze-dried yogurt like nibbles. And they were good for a kid because they like dissolved into your mouth. So you couldn't like choke on them, but I tried them and they were like actually good. But then you read it, they're like fortified with all these vitamins and it's just disgusting, loaded with sugar. But I figure if I made yogurt and add a little bit of my homemade jam or something and stirred it, and then you dropped those in like, you know, maybe piped it with like a frosting bag into like little drops and then freeze dries those, you'd have these like candy treats for your kids and it would like actually be real food. And that's really intriguing to me, but I don't know if it's $2,600 and 
40 hours of, of like processing uh, and electricity bills. Uh, I don't know if it's that intriguing, but I, I do want to learn more about it. So again, if you know anything about freeze drying, reach out and let me know. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was another great month. Um, next month, I'll be back with a homestead update for my first episode. And after that, we're going to be talking more about pantry management, which is super important this time of year. If you're not a member yet, you can join the Greener Posture membership and get the extra content by going to greenerpostures.com slash membership. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review for the podcast. It helps other people know what they're getting into and find my podcast. It helps the algorithms. (laughs) That's what other people say. I don't actually know what it means. So thanks again, guys. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny, and this was the Greener Postures podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at Greener Postures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. I hope to see you there. See you.